Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be doing an Acts chapter 3 recap today based on the discussion we had at our time of Christian fellowship yesterday, which will include more discussion on prayer and introducing a book called If You Would Only Ask by Ronnie W. Rogers. So beginning with the fellowship dialogue, there were so many inspired insights during our discussion of Acts chapter 3 yesterday. Please forgive my pea brain if I don't remember them all. You're welcome to add them in the comments. I did neglect to take notes and the dialogue was very quick and dynamic. But first, I'll address a comment I made after the original reading of the chapter where I said, the World English Bible says the man was asking gifts for the needy. And this was brought up in light of the fact that other translations just say alms. So the World English Bible wording should probably be taken as reflecting back on him as the needy. It doesn't affect the story, which still clearly shows he had faith in the name of Jesus Christ as Peter declared it, and he, the lame man, was dramatically healed. One thing that came out in the discussion was that very declarative nature of what Peter did. Peter was not saying a prayer or requesting something. He seems to have known without a doubt that the man was going to be healed. This is different than presenting requests in prayer to God. It is also different than God providing for us, even when we haven't prayed for something in particular. We all admitted in our group that none of us has ever been in a position where we knew definitively that we could declare something like that. So we wrestled with concepts in the Bible about, about praying all the time for everything on our hearts, but not always seeing answers the way we might hope or expect, especially given scriptures indicating that we will get what we ask for. But these should not be read in isolation or viewed as giving us some sort of prayer ammunition, as one person gave the analogy of somehow giving a, making us individually now endowed with God's all-powerful attributes and being able to declare whatever comes into our minds. And this is a major flaw in the word of faith type teachings. Then we also compared the caution against vain repetition with not growing weary of presenting our concerns to God, both of those being illustrated in the parable of the persistent widow, where Jesus says, don't lose heart, and the encouragement in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Vain repetition does not then, when taking these things into account, mean any repetition, but refers to saying things over again thinking that the mere repetition has some magic or mystical value in the ritual itself. And that is different than relationship in asking someone for something. It's kind of like the difference between getting up every day and rubbing the head of a statue for good luck versus knowing the artist and asking if he can make you a beautiful functional signpost or gate. It was also noted that Peter had no qualms about charging these people with the heinous sin of murder, but also that he pointed them to the whole of Scripture, from Moses to the prophets, to verify what he was claiming, and by doing so, he also validates the Old Testament. 
We talked about how our hardships, in light of things not being immediately answered in prayer, like being healed of sickness, help us relate to and encourage others. And it's not easy to know how our prayers affect our physical state, but they always bring more peace and trust if offered in honest humility, because we are laying things before God. Also, per James chapter 1, the not doubting is not about believing hard enough, but the difference of believing in Jesus Christ as he has been declared, as he declared himself, and that he fulfills his promises. He does give wisdom and his Holy Spirit, so we should not doubt who God is. It was also pointed out that Jesus told the disciples, and Paul later um, also emphasizes this to other believers, that they would be persecuted and die for his namesake. So they couldn't just pray. That wouldn't happen. Paul is actually told not to keep praying for a certain thing. And Jesus prayed that the cup would pass from him if it was possible, but not his will, but God's will, the Father's will be done. None of us has ever been told not to pray for a specific concern, but we do know that everyone will die unless Jesus returns before we die, Um, and that's also referenced in Acts 3.21. But clearly, some things are not granted the way we might hope in our weakness. Still, total restoration will come for those in Jesus Christ. Which brings me to the book about prayer that I'm discussing with a friend. And I have some notes that cover things from the forward through chapter one that I will now share. And as I said, the book is If You Would Only Ask by Ronnie W. Rogers. I'm going to start off by saying I highly recommend the book. I think it was a very good, biblically sound, biblically based book on prayer. I always think you should be reading lots of passages of the Bible yourself before you read a more topical study, and that helps to guard against seeing things out of context or out of proportion. But I was conflicted with the foreword. On one hand, I have no reason to doubt the specific answer to prayer regarding the unending gas tank. On the other hand, I'm not impressed with the quote-unquote Lord's call to launch a college because in my experience, these phrases are used when people say they hear clearly and specifically from God that's heard in a way that is not at all verified or verifiable when you get down to the details of how they know this. Now, again, I'm not saying that starting such a college is necessarily a bad thing, but one, it is really hard to see it as more than their own idea because two, there is an unbiblical stress on academic Christianity, as I call it sometimes, in our current current culture. Some people are constantly giving the very strong impression that you can't really understand the Bible without an institutional degree and paying lots of money for it, and that being a preacher is the highest, most spiritual vocation. Hence, you get a lot of people with expensive Bible degrees who feel very good about their biblical knowledge but have a skewed view of everyday responsibility or sometimes feel abandoned or unworthy because they couldn't find a position where they could support their families with this so-called degree. It's one thing to trust God. It's quite another to make assumptions that conveniently validate the idea of not getting a basic humble job. So just on reading the foreword, I was apprehensive about the content of the book being a whole bunch of cliche Christian speak, but fortunately I read on, which means I read the introduction. 
His opening sentence there laid out the central dilemma, which is, although prayer is central to the Christian life, it does contain some confusing elements. And he elucidates this further, going on to say that if God is sovereign, his will is singular, best and always done, and we are to pray for God's will to be done, then why make our request known to him or even pray other than your will be done? So then he goes on to give basically an outline of what the book will cover. So first, the Bible gives commands and instructions to pray. It indicates very strongly that prayer makes a difference and that prayer is connected to God's promises. And so in essence, we have a false dichotomy that somehow God's will is always in conflict or different than our requests. Instead, we should see it more that our praying is part of his will. He lists Luke 22.44, 1 Thessalonians 3.10, James 5.17, Ephesians 6.18, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Philippians 4.6, Luke 18.1, Acts 13.3, James 1.5, and Jude verse 20. And then specifically about God answering examples like Isaiah 37.15-21, Matthew 7.7, John 14, 13 through 14, and John 16, 23 through 24. Also, James 4, 2 and 5, 16 through 18, and 1 John 5, 14 through 15. All of these together bring forth the conclusion that your will be done does not substitute for authentic requests. In chapter 1, he begins to talk about things that can discourage prayer more specifically, such as God knows the future, so how can we change anything? And if God is sovereign, um, how can our prayers meaningfully change anything? And if God's will is perfect, how can our prayers change anything? On page two of chapter two, he makes a statement about focusing too much on the power of prayer to change things versus not enough on God's immutable will. But if we focus too much on God's immutable will, it could erode belief in prayer. I didn't really like the way that was worded. Um, I think it's trying to address the way that people separate those two things, but I don't think they can be separated. I've never thought of them as separated because prayer to me is only meaningful when addressed to the omnipotent, omniscient God, not as some independent power. But he gives the example of specific prayers, um, in particular, Paul in Ephesians 6.19 and Jesus in Matthew 26.42, where there's no indication in their praying at all that they thought the prayer was predetermined to happen. He points out that the language about prayer ends up being nonsensical from a determinist point of view. And saying again on page six that the reality is that God desired his plan to include some things that are the result of the choice of humans whom he created in his image. On page seven, I think he makes an unnecessary reference to the idea of a trillion billion years from a human perspective. If he's speaking of the idea of evolution, well, that's wrong. You can look at many references to show how unscientific that is, but possibly he's just implying God's eternal existence. And then he ends with asking some important questions. Can prayer change something to be different than if it was not prayed? And then can prayer affect or influence other people? Because if we believe in free will, how do we pray for other people? 
And then there's the concept of change in actions versus a change in heart. So that's as much as I'm going to discuss of the book today. I thank you for listening. See you next time. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.